I don't know if you heard the same as I did, as the children left to the sounds of charge. I thought it was brilliant, <clears throat> absolutely brilliant. Thank you for your prayers. Um, <clears throat> appreciate that. I'm not feeling my best today, uh, and I'm praying that my voice will hold through as uh, I seem to be going down with something. I don't quite know what, but uh, God is good. And um, <clears throat> isn't it amazing that uh, here we are today, and uh, we are fast approaching the middle of February. And as you think back to the beginning of the month, I wonder how many times you heard it said, wow, where did January go? And maybe you said those words yourself as, as time ticks by. I personally am quite pleased to see January finish and February come my way because I think back to January in the beginning of the month and all those New Year resolutions and those January promises we made ourselves. Well, to me now, that, that seems a distant thing. I don't have to worry about that anymore. January is full of those things. And coming to February, I don't feel quite so guilty because I didn't do very well with my resolutions and my self-promises. All that extra exercise equipment that came out after Christmas, well, it's, it's neatly been put away again, ready to come out next January, and we'll try it all again. Uh, that's certainly my case, and now I, I no longer have these running arguments with the bathroom scales, and uh, I'm not forever changing the batteries, thinking that they're faulty equipment. They really didn't lie. They were telling the truth. And all those extra woolly jumpers I got out over Christmas to accommodate the extra eating, well, I'm still wearing them. I have to confess I didn't do very well with, with, with any of that. It's all looking a little bit grim. However, we hear some wonderful words of hope, and we have had them reiterated during our lead-in this morning, and even in the songs that we have sung. Words of hope, a message of hope. And it's the words of the Apostle Paul, who, whilst in prison, would write, I press on. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep on going. So I'm going to read these words again. I think this is the third time we're looking at them this morning. Philippians and chapter 3, just a few verses. Verse 12, Paul writes, not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we open up your word, and we ask that by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, you would take these written words and make them live to us today. So we pray that you would implant the seed of your words, your living words, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, that they may be and prove to be life-changing for us as we are together today, because we ask it for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. If we had time to read the whole of this chapter, 
we would find the reason why Paul has written these thoughts. Because right from the outset of this chapter, Paul is describing this amazing vision of what it means to him to know Christ. Lovely words of scripture. He made this the most important thing in his life. It trumped everything else. Nothing else to the Apostle Paul compared to knowing Christ in his life. And we would read these wonderful words that he wrote, I want to know Christ. I want to know and share in the fellowship of his suffering because when he was writing as he was looking back to the cross and the salvation that he received through knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord and Saviour. And then he would write, I want to know the power of his resurrection because he looked forward, he looked to the life he wants to live for God in the power and the presence of God. Paul was fiercely ambitious in his life and there is nothing wrong with being ambitious. But before he was a Christian, his ambitious life led him to being so zealous for his faith of Judaism, and that led to him persecuting the church. We knew about that in his past, previous life before Christ. He really believed he was doing the work of God. He was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. But after his conversion, when he met Christ, he didn't lose that ambitious drive, but rather it changed direction for him. And if anything, it made him even more ambitious. And we see in these three verses that we have shared this morning how he describes himself like an athlete desperate to win a prize at the end of the race. And also with Paul's ambition, not only is he describing himself as an athlete running forward in the direction of God, but he links it to this wanting to know Christ and the power of Christ and the presence of Christ in his life. He wants to know God personally. The Greek words for to know mean more than an intellectual knowledge. Instead, it's a personal knowledge. Is there a difference? The answer is yes, there is. Satan knows Christ. He knows all about Christ, but he's not a Christian. And some people believe that by knowing about Christ in the mind, intellectually, surely that's enough. If I know about God, that's all I need. That's not the truth. It won't save us. We shouldn't make that mistake this morning. This knowing Christ, the Apostle Paul longs for in his heart, was deep. It was personal. For him, it was life-changing. And in the verses that we read together, it was also for him and for any who believe in Christ, eternity-changing. I wonder if some of you might remember the uh, prolific songwriter Graham Kendrick. Some of us are of that age where we would remember his songs, probably back in the 80s in particular. I'm, I'm going back a long way, so if you're a lot younger than that, my apologies. 
But one of the most amazing songs that Graham Kendrick ever penned were these words, Knowing You, Jesus. You know that song, don't you? My throat isn't good. My voice isn't good today. So I'm not going to sing to you this morning. And you'll be glad about that. But he wrote, Knowing You, Jesus, there is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. This is the knowing Christ that Paul is writing about from the beginning of this chapter. And it's very easy for us to look at the Apostle Paul and come to the the wrong conclusion, actually, and think that Paul was a Christian who had got there. He had achieved, he had aspired to everything that God wanted in his life. We look to the dramatic change in his life. We look to all that he did for Christ and we sit back in admiration and think, wow, what a man of God. There's a person who has really, really got there. He has achieved, he's done it all. And the verses that we have read together this morning It's almost as if Paul was trying to clear up this misunderstanding. And so he clarifies in the verses that we have read, actually, guys, I have not made it. I have not got there. I have not already obtained all of this. And he writes, I have not already been made perfect. But rather than let that discourage him, It became a driving force in his life. It encouraged him and it urged him forwards and onwards to seek God's goal and God's purposes for his life. And so this morning, if you're feeling a little bit discouraged, if you're feeling that your Christian life has become a little bit sluggish, after the big hit of the new year, we're in February... Things have slowed down a bit. That's where you are. I want you to be encouraged with these few verses that we have read together today. Take heart. Take heart and know that you have a purpose in your life which God is shaping and which is he is designing to make you into something beautiful for God. And it can be slow. It can be hard work. It requires perseverance and so it comes back to what Paul is describing he is in effect describing a race now it might come as a shock to some of you but uh, my running days are over I no longer run I'm looking at some of you and uh, you actually look far fitter than than I am I'm sure that you are runners maybe or, or or you're active probably more active than myself the uh, Olympic Committee wouldn't use me to uh, model their new sports equipment for the GB team. Those days are long since gone. But I wonder, have you ever run a race? Now, I used to run. Not very well, but I did run. But when I think about running, I think about something that requires focus and requires perseverance. It requires something that you start and you've got to finish. You can't pull out part way. I think of something where you run forwards and you don't look back. You don't turn around. And most important, you don't give in. You don't give in. 
Now, maybe there's a message for somebody here today. When the writer of the letter of Hebrews penned that incredible piece of work, that letter was sent out to encourage Hebrew believers to not give in. They were about to. And the writer, he designed his letter to show this wonderful picture of Christ, his majesty, so much higher than the angels, who came to die a death to save us from our sins, and who rose again from the dead and then went through the heavens to be seated at his Father's right-hand side. This is the Jesus the writer described, and then... As if in response to all of that, in chapter 12, he writes this. So then, let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. It's a race. And the race that the Bible is talking about for us to participate in. It's not one of these 100-meter sprints, as if we can't wait to get to the finish line as quick as possible. But neither is it just a walk in the park. The Christian walk, the Christian race that we're part of, it's really like a marathon. Requires determination, perseverance, focus, and energy. And in these few verses this morning for us, Paul shares what it means to him to have this forward focus at all times. He's focusing on what lies ahead, not on what lies behind. He presses on towards the goal that that God has for him so that he can win the prize at the finish line. And he talks about having that finish line before him, being called heavenwards in Christ Jesus. What is our finishing line? It's heaven. What is our purpose for living? To know Christ. And at the end of the race, it's to win Christ. It's to be with him for the whole of eternity. Can I just ask you to grasp that thought? With all the struggles that you're going through, with having to persevere in your Christian life, with all that that brings, all the problems, all the difficulties, and the joys, and the glories, it is momentary. Because we are called to run in the direction of heaven. That's the finish line. And you know, also in this letter, Paul wrote to these Philippian Christians that our citizenship is in heaven. It's where we belong. We're on this earth for a time, but it's only momentary. And the whole of eternity, we will be in heaven. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that fantastic? And Solomon, in his words of wisdom, he wrote this, that God has put eternity in the hearts of mankind. We have an inbuilt longing for eternity. And it's only when we find Christ do we wake up to that fact that the end of the finish line for us, the end of that race, is in heaven. We're going to be there. We're going to be there. It could be tomorrow. It could be in years to come. We don't know. But Paul had this wonderful longing. God has called him heavenwards. When I was thinking about that thought, 
reminds me of a little chorus um, we used to sing. Uh, this is going back beyond the days of Graham Kendrick, and it's one I can remember from camp, I think. Heaven is a wonderful place, filled with glory and grace. I wonder if you're, and again, I'm not going to sing that to you this morning. We, you, you really don't want to hear my voice. Wonderful prospect. In these few verses, Paul is sharing with us simply two ways that we can achieve this in our Christian running. Verse 12, the thought is this, make God's goals, God's purposes, your goals and your purposes, not the other way around. It's so easy to do that, isn't it? To have our own ideas and our own agendas and say, God, would you bless that? But how about reversing that, saying, Lord, what do you want? What's your plan for my life? What are your purposes for me right now? And secondly, verses 13 to 14, keep a forward focus at all times. Know where you're going. Know where you're headed. In verse 12, Paul then writes, Not that I have obtained all of this, or I'm already been made perfect, but I press on. I keep going to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. What I love about this verse is you see something of Paul's integrity, his, his honesty about where he was. He hasn't arrived. He's still on this journey. He is still running at this point of time as he's writing this letter. He is so honest about that. And in other parts of his letters, he speaks further about his struggles he has struggles in his life, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. He is so open and honest about that. He is doing something, even here, that we find very difficult to do amongst ourselves. Because we come into church on a Sunday morning, we come to worship, we come to fellowship. We all have this lovely, polite smile on our faces. And yet behind that, we could really, really be desperately struggling. And sometimes we see people, we think, wow, you've really got it together. You've arrived. You have, you've got all the answers. Well done. And I'm just so struggling in my life. Let's be aware and let's be honest with each other, sharing together about our struggles, doing life together, praying for each other, praying for each other and with each other sharing our problems and our difficulties. Let's understand where we really are. I have not got all the answers. My life is still missing in so many areas. As somebody said, the scaffolding is still up in my life. God is still working his purposes out in my life. None of us have arrived. None of us have got it all together. And this integrity and honesty from the Apostle Paul is really encouraging for us to aspire to. And then notice this also in that verse, he aligns his goals with the goals and purposes that God has for his life. Verse 12, the end of that verse, I press on to take hold of that for which God has taken hold of me. God has taken hold of my life. My goals don't matter anymore. God, you take hold of my life. What do you want from me? What is your purpose for my life? What can I do to serve you? How can I run forwards in that direction for you? Making God's goals our goals. And as Christians, 
You remember the day you trusted Christ? Do you remember the day you gave your life to him? You, you put your faith in him? Well, trust in him for your life and your future and that he will work out his purposes in your life. I press on. God has a wonderful plan for each of us. And when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in chapter 2, he wrote these words, You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Isn't that reassuring? That God knows the end from the beginning. He knows what he wants you to do right now. You might not see that. You might not have a vision for that. But it's part of your running. It's part of your, your Christian life. That God has something in store for you. Something maybe this year. Maybe in the days ahead, you're working that out. You're praying that through. Really lay hold of God who has laid hold of your life for that purpose. It's so exciting to be a part of the purposes of God. And so the question comes to us, how do we discover that purpose? Where do we go from here? Four things. In prayer. In the Bible in your walk, and in the Spirit. In prayer, learn to talk to God about that. And in the Bible, learn to listen to God from his word, because he wants to direct you through his word. In your walk, walk closely to the Lord as the Apostle Paul did, and by your closeness to Christ, by knowing him in your life, he will unload to you, he will reveal to you these wonderful purposes he has for your life. And in the Spirit, be sensitive to how the Holy Spirit is leading you. Listen to God answer your prayers. Listen to God through the Bible. Listen to God as he shows you and directs you in your Christian walk. But listen to the Holy Spirit within you who will be leading you and directing you. Listen to that still, small voice of God. That's the first thing. The second thing, keep a forward focus at all times. You will not be able to run very well if you are constantly looking back behind you. It's the same as driving a car. You will never be able to drive a car effectively if you are constantly trying to drive forward and looking in that rear view mirror. It will never work. And so Paul, he shares three simple thoughts with us on this. The first thing he says is, get rid of any and all distractions. Look at verse 13. He writes, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Now we know Paul in his life, he was, he was a non-stop action figure for God. He never stopped. Here, as he's writing this letter to the Philippians, he was in prison. But did he stop for God while he was in prison? No, he didn't. He kept going. He did what he could. And he had visitors who would take these letters and circulate them to believers and to church that he had helped to establish. He was on fire for God. Nothing would stop him. He was always on the move. His life was so busy, so full, but he could write, yet one thing I do. He put aside all and any distractions. The second thing is Paul forgot what was behind. 
forgetting what is behind in verse 13 and straining towards what is ahead. When you are in a race, let's get back to this rush. The last thing you want to do is to look back. I'm going to put an image on the screen. Um, you might recognize this. You might know the story. But let me share this with you if you do not recognize it. It is a bronze sculpture commemorating a race between John Landy and Roger Bannister in the 1954 British Games in Vancouver. This was the race known as the Miracle Mile. Both runners had run the mile in under four minutes. Landy held the world record. And in this race, he was leading. He was ahead of Roger Bannister when he made a critical mistake. His mistake was he looked back over his shoulder to check the position of Roger Bannister. And as I took that backward look, Roger Bannister steamed past him on the right and took the finishing line 0.8 seconds ahead of Roger Bannister. Uh, sorry, ahead of Ron Landy, rather. This statue was sculpted from a photograph taken of that fateful moment. When Landy was interviewed, he made this comment. You'll like this. While Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt for looking back, I am the only one in history who has been turned into bronze for looking back. I love that thought. And he was able to smile as he said those words. It is possible to look back in such a way that keeps us from running forwards. What am I getting at? And this is, I think, something in Paul's mind as he penned these words. Do you know, it is possible for us to look back at all our successes and our achievements, all that we've done for God. And if that is how your life has panned out, if that is what God has done with your life, give him praise, give him glory for the way he has used you. But don't make the mistake of resting on that. Some people do. And stand back and say, I've done enough. I don't need to do any more. God has even more in plan for your life. He really does. Wonderful plans. But some people, they have a different perspective altogether. They look back, and maybe this is you this morning, not at past successes and achievements, but at past failures. I've let God down so many times in so many ways. How could he ever use me in the future? How could he now have a purpose for me when I look back to my failures? And we really struggle, don't we, with those times? And we struggle with forgiving ourselves. Can I just lift you this morning? And I want to say that if you know Christ, as Paul knew Christ and wrote about knowing Christ, if you know Christ, if you are in Christ this morning, you have been forgiven 100% for everything and anything. You are in the forgiveness 
of God. And when you let him down, when you fail, when you fall, when you trip in your race, that's not race over. He wants to pick you up and he wants to reassure you of this, that he is the God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance and the fifth chance. And it goes on and on. God never gives up on any of us. Forgiving ourselves, that's a different matter. That would take a whole sermon to work through that area. We need to preach about that, don't we? But you are forgiven by God. Paul could write, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead. That word straining, it talks about pressure. It talks about exertion. It talks about effort. I'm going to get that finish line, whatever the cost. Whatever comes my way, I am going to get there. And the ultimate finish line, that's heaven. That's where I'm going to be with Christ. When the race is over, my work is done, and I am with him for the whole of eternity. We have this living hope. We have this great longing within us. But we have here and now a necessity for perseverance and for straining forwards to running this race. It's all about purposeful living. And so I want to finish with a story. A little bit sad. The story is um, from a true documentary, which I I watched just after Christmas. And the documentary centred around the parents of a murdered son. And it was a really tragic story. Their son was 21 years old and had been brutally attacked by three other men. His injuries were too far gone for his life to be saved. He died. These three men were apprehended. They were charged and found guilty and sentenced back in the day to ten years each. When the sentence had been served, the parents of this murdered man sought them out and met these men as they left prison. You wonder what was going through their minds? Well, let me tell you. When they approached the men and said, we are the parents of the man that you murdered, they were just stunned. But the parents hugged the men, threw their arms around them, and they said, we forgive you. And when they said, we forgive you, they then said, now go and live your lives well. And they walked away. Don't know what I would have done. Incidentally, those parents were Christians. What a lesson. What a thing to learn. It's all about living for God. God has called us heavenwards. We have a great life to live for him. His purposes work out in our lives, not our goals, not our agendas, but what he has in store for us and his presence with us in that living. So let's not live for earthly things. We have a higher calling. We really do. Let's become not complacent, contented with where we are, but let's strain forwards, run that race, glorify our saviour, 
live for him. And then one day, in heaven, with him. Isn't that great? Don't you want to be there? Don't you want to get to the end of that race? Some of us may be nearer than others, but we don't know. We don't know. But what a wonderful hope. Jesus, my saviour. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving your life for us on the cross. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the new life that you have given to us and, and a purpose-filled life that we may live and walk and serve and run for your pleasure and for your glory. Would you reveal to us the next stages of your plan for our lives and then give us the faith to step forwards and to step out and live for you. And Father, if there are any here today and they've not even begun that race, would you reveal to them their need of Christ, their need to be forgiven, their need to be saved, their needs to secure their place, their home in heaven with you. Lord, would you do that for us? In Jesus' precious name. Amen.